Recovery Elevator, episode 112. You know, I, I've just done all kind of crazy things. And this time you'd think something really big happened, but it was just, I was tired of it. I just, it was, I realized I was going to have to deal with this now or deal with it later, but this wasn't going to go away. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator podcast. My name is Paul. Thank you so much for joining us. According to the Recovery Elevator sobriety tracker on my phone, I've been sober for two years, six months, one week, and three days. On today's podcast, we've got Heath. He's got 40 days of sobriety. He's 41 years old and is from Atlanta, Georgia. Now, I rarely gobble up airspace asking for reviews on iTunes, but I've got a goal to get to 200 reviews on iTunes before May. If you could please help me out with this. If you like the Recovery Elevator podcast, go to iTunes, go to Stitcher, go to SoundCloud, leave a review. Currently in iTunes, we've got 144 reviews. Go to iTunes, please help me out and leave a review. Okay, let's get started. Can somebody successfully taper off alcohol? I can answer that question with one word, no, and episode is complete. Just kidding, let's explore this a little further. I wish there was an easy way to cut back on drinking until eventually we are no longer addicted to the drug called alcohol, and that's the key word of why it's near impossible. We are addicted, keyword addicted, to alcohol, not only physically dependent on it, but mentally and spiritually. Our bodies physically tell us with uncomfortable symptoms that we need alcohol in our system. Our inner voice will concoct brilliant reasons why we can drink again, and oftentimes we yield to that voice. The reason these voices are so convincing is because it's in our own voice convincing us. I have named my voice. His name is Gary. He's my addiction who simply just chirps and stands there. He is still here with two and a half years of sobriety, but I no longer need to listen to him. This song in dance of listening to our own voice lie to us in our heads is absolutely exhausting. I've searched all over the internet, read books, tried seemingly brilliant techniques of my own, but was never able to successfully cut down my drinking over a prolonged period of time. I could string one to two nights together, at most an extremely painful week, before eventually the wheels would always come flying off. I don't know if you've noticed out there, you listeners who've listened to a lot of episodes, but I've packaged and delivered this question to over 115 interviewees on the Recovery Elevator podcast in hopes to find that maybe one just one success story using the taper off strategy, but I haven't heard one yet. I one time had somebody email me saying they successfully quit drinking using moderation and then tapered off. Actually, I don't even think it's possible to taper off, but you get the point. And I replied with, boom, here's a link. Go ahead and schedule an interview. Let's do this. I want to hear about this. And I never heard from that person again. I hope they're sober. I hope they have moderated completely to success. But again, I have never talked to anybody who's been able to successfully do this. So if that is you, I'd like to get you on a podcast. Email me at info at recoveryelevator.com. But in the meantime, listeners, let me save you the trouble and inform you guys of what happens when a person tries the taper off strategy. Here it goes. Day one, taper off. Boom. Got it. Day two, taper off. A little more painful, but got it. Day three, we just taper didn't really taper on or taper off. And we're not going to talk about the animal type here. We're just going to taper. Day four, taper on. Day five, taper on. Day six, taper on. Day seven, taper on. Day eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 30, 40, 15, taper on. What the fuck just happened? That's been my experience with the taper off strategy. And I know a lot of others have experienced the same thing. 
The only people to recommend this strategy are those who have never had a problem with alcohol and doctors. Yep, I was recommended this advice one time by a medical professional in 2007. Come on, you dub med school. You can do better than that. It didn't work so well. When we get the flu, we aren't instructed to hang out with a person who gave us the flu one hour less each day until symptoms reside, are we? Instead, we are instructed to stay as far away from all people who are sick. So why with alcoholism would we treat this disease with the tincture that is causing the disease? Boggling of the mind. The only time one can successfully fight fire with fire is when their end goal is to burn down the entire neighborhood. When I was a kid, we had a garden with a beetle problem. Imagine how ridiculous it would sound if my dad said, Hey Paul, take this bag of beetles and dump them in the garden. Tomorrow do the same, but one less beetle. Following day, same thing, but two less beetles. I think even at the age of six, I would have questioned my father's theory. I'm sorry to disappoint listeners, but I can't read minds. I can, however, tell you, no matter at what point of sobriety you're at, when your mind says something like, I'll only drink on special occasions, or I'll only drink on the weekends, that is not you doing the talking. That will be your addiction lying to your own voice again. You might say to yourself, hey, I'm a smart guy, I'm a smart girl. And your brain is going to concoct some pretty convincing strategies, but it's always important to realize that's not you who's doing the talking. The answer is always, damn it, Paul, you can't even have just one. One drink is too many and a thousand is not enough. It's imperative. I shift my thinking to reflect that. On this podcast, I've asked the question multiple times and here are just a few of the ridiculous plans that I've put into place and some others that I've heard on the podcast during interviews. These also would classify as good. You might be an alcoholic if lines. I had a strategy one time that I would only allow myself to drink three days per week. I had a calendar taped up on my door. This is when I was living in Seattle, going to grad school at University of Washington. And what happened was the X's on the calendar started to accumulate pretty quick. In fact, day one, two, three, there were three X's. Immediately, my mind concocted a brilliant idea that I could borrow X's from future weeks. So I got six X's in a row and then realized, shoot, I got to go eight days without drinking if I want to follow this brilliant plan. Eight days without drinking, I did. And then I would accumulate nine X's in a row, followed by 12 days of brutal abstinence. After about a month of this silly and stupid plan, calendar was ripped off the wall. We've heard of people not drinking before a certain time of day. What about time zones? It's easy to tell yourself that Aunt Peggy at 3 o'clock in your Mountain Standard Time, who lives on the East Coast, well, it's 5 o'clock her time. I love Aunt Peggy. She's the best. And guess what? I'm drinking. In order for this plan to work, one will need an extreme amount of willpower. Willpower, like I've mentioned on this podcast before, is finite and exhaustible. One can simply not put this plan into place for a successful long period of time. I remember when I turned 10 years old, I had a skateboard waiting for me at home. Those seven hours felt like 700 hours in my fifth grade classes. I've also told myself that I couldn't drink till a certain time of the day. This was absolutely exhausting. I heard from somebody that they have only beer and no hard alcohol. Well, do the planet a favor, and what usually ends up happening is the person will have 20 to 30 beers, aka Paul Churchill, 2013. All this method does is prolonging the retardation of the brain and faculties, and yes, I will use that word correctly. My theory is, if I'm going to pull a Band-Aid off, I'd rather get it over with. Also, what happens after we're 10 beers deep into our only beer diet of alcohol? 
Well, what happened to me and has happened to others is impaired thinking takes over and oftentimes a drunken driving trip to the liquor store ensues. I've heard of people say that they only drink on vacations or special occasions. What usually happens then is going to South Coast Plaza classifies as a vacation and checking email became a special occasion. I heard somebody one time say they only drink on days of the week that end in day. Hmm. I've heard people try to limit the amount they drink before they start drinking. What I mean by that is they will pour out a portion of the bottle. I've personally opened up a bottle of vodka and poured a third of it or half of it out the sink, telling myself, Paul, this is all you got. Again, this usually results in a drunk driving trip to the liquor store, which is never good. And being mildly buzzed without any more to drink is pure agony for an alcoholic. I've heard people put plans into place like they're not going to drink and drive. Well, they end up selling the car. I heard a plan one time that it was not to drink around their wife. Well, they got a divorce. You get the point. One can draw the conclusion that alcohol is a priority in life when we start putting these rules into place that we're all going to end up breaking. I challenge you to ask the question where alcohol stands on your priority list. Does it determine where you hang out? Does it determine who you hang out with? Does it determine where you go socially, where you work, where you live? Think about that one for a second. Where does alcohol stand on your priority list? This can also be a good indicator as if you're a dry drunk or not. I can tell you with 100% certainty that sobriety is my number one priority in life because without that, I'll lose everything. And probably I'll lose it all before the Broncos play their season opener in 2017. If, again, that's if I start drinking again. Before we get to Heath again, I want to mention the AALRM Run for Recovery on Saturday, May 20th, 2017 in beautiful Bozeman, Montana. You can drive, fly to Bozeman and join us in the run. This 10K and 5K, which takes place in Bozeman, Montana, is dedicated towards raising funds for a Live Again Life Recovery Mission, which is a recovery nonprofit. If you can't make the race in Bozeman, not a problem. You can do it virtually from wherever you're at. All right, and now let's hear from Heath. Heath, how are you? I'm doing well. Yeah, Heath, great. Thank you so much for joining us. Let's get right into this. Heath, how long have you been sober? I have been sober 40 days as of 4.30 this morning. (laughs) Nice job, man. 40 days is a huge building block. I just got to say congrats on that. I appreciate that. Yeah, before we get any further, give listeners a little background about yourself, maybe where you're from, what you do for a living, how old you are, do you have a family, and and give us some hobbies. What do you like to do for fun, Heath? Sure, sure. I'm uh, from Atlanta, Georgia, 41, and for fun right now, I've been been running, working out a lot, and mainly enjoy time with my daughter. She's nine, and we go, and she's all kind of fun. (laughs) We go do stuff all the time, parks and and whatnot. Nice. I I bet nine years old is a fun age, right? Yeah, it is. It is. She's just old enough to kind of talk so <laughs> and go out and play. So. Yeah. Now, did you mention your age? How, how old are you, Heath? I'm 41. 41. Awesome, awesome, awesome. So you're 41, you got 40 days of sobriety. I imagine it wasn't 40 days ago that you first realized that you might have a problem with alcohol. Am I right on that? When did you first start to realize that oh, you might have a problem with alcohol? Oh, that's probably all my life, but I've been trying the last couple of years to to not only get sober, but to want to get sober. So probably last couple of years. Mm, that's a big one. Get sober and then want to get sober. What's the difference between those two for you? Well, I felt like before I was always uh, getting sober. You know, my wife, been married almost 13 years, was just frustrated, fed up with me. So I'm like, oh, I got to put the brakes on here. <laughs> and uh, this time I'm, I really feel like I'm doing it for myself. And just I truly want to stay sober. 
We are only two minutes in this interview, guys, and that's a huge value bomb right there. I wanted to get sober for myself. We can't get sober for a doctor, for a spouse, for a significant other, for a neighbor named Dan or whatnot. We got to get sober for ourselves, and that's a huge one that you recognize that. And it's probably why you got 40 days of sobriety under your belt because, um, and that's not chump change, Heath. That's a lot of times. So I want to say congrats on that. And I want to ask you, did you ever put any rules in the place before these 40 days of drinking? You know, I imagine it's complete abstinence right now, but did you ever put any rules in place? Like, you know what? I'm not drinking, you know, on a weekday. I'm only drinking on the weekends. And did any of those, and did any of those rules ever work? I... Not sure if this would be rules, but I definitely, uh, my wife had had enough of my drinking, so I could not drink around her. She works nine to five, so I have daytime. So uh, that was one rule. And uh, there were times, you know, I, I was one of those, I don't know if you want to call it binge drinker, but I would definitely go a few weeks here and there without drinking. Mm-hmm. Maybe that would qualify as uh, trying to control it a little bit. So you had a rule that you couldn't drink around your wife, so you could only drink from nine to five in the day. Is that what I'm hearing right? Pretty much. <laughs> okay, that's, that's how I thought I heard that. Okay, so you were you babysitting from nine to five? No, no, no. My uh, I have a daughter. She goes to school. Okay. Yeah, she, she, my wife works in an office. I'm self-employed, so I'm at the house. <laughs> oh, being self-employed can be a dangerous thing in early sobriety. Have oh, you had yeah. any uh, issues with that so far? Not this time, and I'm willing to say I'm probably on a pink cloud or something, but. This time, it's just something I'm, I'm really uh, excited about and something I'm wanting to do. So it hasn't been tempting. When you say so. this time, because if I were to say this time, that would probably mean like the 300th time for me. Now, relapse was a huge part of my story. If you're out there and if you're relapsing, don't beat yourself up. Just keep getting back up. That's what we do. Just keep getting back up. Get up, get up, get up. What time would you say this is for you when you say this time? I'd have to say 301, no. You got me beat. It's, uh, I, <laughs> You're good. More than I can count. The last couple of years, I've been trying really hard, definitely multiple times, but I just can't remember. And what was that like? So you would you would tell yourself, would you just wake up in the morning and be like, Heath, we are done drinking? And what were those times like? So I would use marijuana to, to maintain this uh, abstinence without alcohol. Yeah, so that's how I got through it. But then, you know, whether it be a few days or a few weeks would pass, and eventually I'd be right back at it again. Sure. So we were, you know, we're still kind of filling the void with marijuana, and you know, you, that that helped you get a couple days. But this time around, it's just forty days of just pure life and joy, right? It is, and I tell you, another big thing is for the last five or six years, I've through my psychiatrist taken Xanax, mm-hmm. and when I got honest with that, called my psychiatrist and said pull the plug on this. I told him everything I've been doing, drinking. My wife went with me to the psychiatrist. That was actually, I'm surprised I hadn't mentioned, that was a big part of why I did this as far as an action and as far as showing myself I'm serious because that would mess me up. I'd get the prescription filled and then I'd run out and it was, you know, back on the alcohol. So it was mm-hmm. a constant back and forth. Now, listeners, let me fill you in on what Xanax is. It's under the drug class benzodiazepines which is basically classified as alcohol in a pill in that type of format. And that's a dangerous combination is, is a benzo and, and on alcohol. Cause you're basically just, you know, the, the, the benzos magnify the alcohol and then the alcohol, if that's gone, the benzos kind of replace it. So good for you, Heath. That's, that's awesome. What was it like coming off the benzos? Surprisingly, 
it just wasn't that difficult. I mean, my psychiatrist even said I was lucky. So I was just ready. I was ready to get sober. I was tired of it. I'd had my, yeah, my prescription filled and went through it and probably 30 tablets in five days, which is insane amount. And, uh, yeah, that's a lot. I was just ready. Yeah. (laughs) But it sounds like you were sick and tired of being sick and tired, which we hear a lot on this podcast and you were just ready to do it for yourself. But let's, let's back it up a little bit. When would you consider you to have like a rock bottom moment? Did you ever have one of those? And what was that like? I don't know. I had thought about that. I just I had probably multiple. I mean, I, I've had so many times I've totaled cars, you know, I, I've just done all kind of crazy things. And this time you'd think something really big happened, but it was just, I was tired of it. I just, it was, I realized I was going to have to deal with this now or deal with it later, but this wasn't going to go away. I got to pause you right there. That's a big one. You realize that you're going to have to deal with this now or you're going to have to deal with it later. It's not going away. There was a long time in my drinking career that I hoped it would just go away. And I searched high and low for pills, for quick fixes, for shortcuts. It just didn't go away. In fact, it only got worse. This disease is progressive. And today is the very best day, the very best opportunity that we all have to quit because of the nature of this disease being progressive. So that is awesome. Congratulations on, on recognizing that. And, and so instead of putting it off towards the future, you know, till the, till the Heath who's 42, 43, 44, you just decided at 41 that you're going to do this, right? Exactly. And how has that been? What was the first day like? What was day one, day two, day three? And how did you do it? I was just, I was so determined and it seemed like the first week, so many things were happening as far as which kept me busy. You know, we went to see a nurse. Then the next step was to see my psychiatrist. I went, I made an appointment right away with a therapist I'd seen over the last couple of years, you know, trying to get sober. Mm-hmm. So it just seemed like I had, you know, Tuesday doing this, Thursday doing this. So that first week kind of blew by quick and I was running every day. So I, I pretty much stayed busy and uh, I just knew drinking drug use, anything, marijuana, none of it was an option. I just was not going to do it this time extremely determined that willpower it won't last us but it can get us through that first couple days that first week and it sounds like you just put your head down and move forward right right exactly and how important do you think it was for you to stay busy during your early sobriety i think that i think it was extremely important i was you know i could there's no way i could have just sat in my uh, office and calmly take phone calls or do whatever it is I, my activities are i had to you know, go to the gym, uh, go, go to the library, get out, do things. I knew another thing. I knew once I made it to evening and my wife was home, I was home safe because <laughs> I'd been programmed not to use at that time. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned earlier how about, you know, you do a lot of exercise. Sometimes I can kind of run things away and, you know, you, I, I couldn't run my alcohol problem away, but it definitely helped. In early sobriety, I was going on one to two runs a day. I was going on one to two to three hikes per day. In, in beautiful Bozeman, Montana, there's this M. It's about a 45-minute hike. I remember one time in early sobriety, I did the M three times, and then there's another little short hike across the other valley, and I did that twice. That's five hikes in one day, really just to keep my mind, my brain occupied, and you just got to keep moving forward. And I knew, just like you knew, Heath, that I want to do this for myself. And earlier, you mentioned the word pink cloud. And so you feel like you're feeling uh, feeling pretty good and you're, you feel like you're on a pink cloud? Yeah, I do. I, I have implemented, it's called uh, the acronym SMART uh, Recovery. 
it's uh, kind of like a similar to AA. It's just more of a secular type program. And I've been going there, and I've been very grateful because it actually has uh, a lot of a lot of options recently in the last year. So that's uh, you know to kind of put in some insurance, so to speak, for the pink cloud go, when it goes away. That's huge, right so. there. Minute eleven in the interview, we got another big value bomb. Is what happens when that pink cloud goes away? If you're not doing a program, if you're not connecting with other like-minded individuals, if you're just white knuckling it, you know it's not hard to white knuckle it through this pink cloud time. But as soon as that goes away, which I've still yet to meet somebody else where the pink cloud has not gone away. What happens then? And it sounds like you've been going to Smart Recovery and listeners, Smart Recovery is just, a, it's another program. It's more of a CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy based program. There's a workbook, you know, more of like pen to paper type stuff. But uh, tell me, you know, how has Smart Recovery affected your recovery in the last 40 days? The biggest, the biggest part is actually just because uh, I do have the way you described is perfect. I have the booklet and all that. But when I go to those meetings and just hear the other people sharing, it just, it, it's like, wow, I'm not alone. There's other people doing this, you know, different ages, older than me, younger than me. So just the, uh, relating to the other people has been a, has been big and opening up, letting them get to know me. You know, I've been to maybe, I don't know, seven or eight meetings and I go to a couple of weeks. So. And Heath, I don't know if you're just beautifully wrapping up these value bombs for us right now, but I'm going to unwrap <laughs> them for the audience because uh, you know, you went to the, you go to the meetings and you realize, look, I'm not alone. And what other people are sharing, it's very valuable to me. What you're doing is you're focusing on the similarities and not the differences, which tells me that, you know, you are ready to quit drinking. My very first AA meeting I went to, I walked out, jumped up, clicked my heels. And I said, I'm not an alcoholic because it, it was kind of a drunk log meeting. It just went around the room and I was like, nope, that hasn't happened to me. Nope. Never been to prison, never been to jail, never had a DUI at that moment in time, shall we say. And, you know, and later to realize it's just a yet scale. I haven't had all that stuff yet, but I had to go out and drink for another couple of years and endure that pain. But it sounds like you were focusing on the similarities, not the differences. And comment to me, Heath, just how important that is. It is, it is big. I mean, you know, I'm not sure if this is the answer, but I mean, connecting with the other people, and seeing them try to, you know, I, I used to be more of a serious runner. And I always, sometimes if you had a faster, or slower runner, that would somehow work with whether you ran faster or slower. And it's, you know, you go to, you go to a meeting where other people are getting sober. And unfortunately, the, there's been some people that's relapse or drink, and I wouldn't wish that on them, but it has caused me to say, not me, <laughs> I'm not drinking. And that's kind of like when you ran with a slower runner, you're like, I can run faster than this guy, <laughs> you know, so... You know, I don't, I don't know if that makes sense. But. No, it, it makes a lot of sense. And, you know, in, in the private recovery elevator community cafe RE, there's a lot of people there in early sobriety that are very accountable. And I find it very admirable when they wake up and they post day one again. And I read those posts and, you know, you can hear about it and be like, wait a second, there's a lot of people in there who are relapsing. Well, we're up against a very lethal, potent beast called alcohol. But number two, just like you said, Heath, I... I don't want to go back there. That's almost rocket fuel for my sobriety. I hear that and I see that and I tell myself, oh man, I can't go back. I got to keep moving forward. And then all I can do is share my experiences with those people to try to help them. And it's really a remarkable process of, of, of how recovery is structured where stories when people relapse of, you know, even after they, you know, people have been sober for 10, 15, 20 years, just relapse in general. 
every relapse I hear of, it's not like, you know, it doesn't trigger something in my brain. I'm like, well, Paul, it's inevitable. It's going to happen anyways. No, the opposite effect happens. It almost just, it, it kickstarts me again because the road in recovery narrows and the road while you're drinking narrows, it becomes harder and harder to quit. You know, I got to keep changing it up in sobriety. And so every time I hear a story of a relapse, I think to myself, am I doing enough? And usually that answer is it's always no. There's always more I could be doing. I could be changing things up. And I'm excited in Cafe RE. We are also going to be doing the, uh, the, the smart recovery workbook. And so if you're out there, you're curious about that, join up to Cafe RE and you can get involved with that. It's a pretty fun program there. And, and, and talk to me, Heath, about how your relationships have changed maybe with your wife and with your nine-year-old daughter in these past 40 days. Yeah, that's going to give me good. But my life, it's been good. It's been an improvement, but we're still, you know, there's been so many times in the past. I was smoking marijuana and I didn't drink for 40 days. So my wife is kind of wondering if I'm really doing this. That's where we're at. She's happy, but now my daughter is thrilled. She's very proud of me. And I really couldn't keep it a secret from her. So I get a little emotional with that. She's um, super happy for me. And then I, so as far as my relationship, I'm a lot closer with them. And I don't have the guilt as of the last 40 days at least. I don't have this guilt. So, sure. And in, you know. in early sobriety and sobriety in general, you are the tortoise and not the hare. You've got to prove to all those other around you. But most importantly, you've got to prove to yourself that it's just one day at a time and very slowly the trust will come back in all relationships if you maintain this footing and move forward. And in Heath, another quick question here, you know, when cravings come and with 40 days of sobriety, you know, I, I know you've got cravings. What do you do? I had a one time a few weeks ago or two weeks ago, uh, I went right to the gym. It was nasty weather outside. So I went right to the gym and got an elliptical and burned about 45 minutes, which is a lot of a uh, lot of time on elliptical, and I did 45 minutes, and that took the edge off. But uh, I was just really worked up and upset. There you go. Yeah, I don't think I've ever done 45 minutes on that, on that machine. It's just, <laughs> but just, yeah, it's a, the word elliptical just doesn't sound like any fun. But it sounded like you just got out of your head. And you just trudge forward and you're like, you know what? I, I can either drink or I can go do this machine called elliptical. And in my opinion, you, you chose right. How did you feel? Did you regret not drinking after that? No, I did not. <laughs> I, I'm glad I did not drink. I, um, you know, the, the exercise releases endorphins and it actually gives you what it is I'm looking for with the alcohol. So it, it took the edge off. I was glad I made the higher choice there. Damn it, Heath, you just keep dropping these bombs here, man. Um, so it replaced what I was looking for in the alcohol. That's just the void. You know, for a lot of us, we drink for various reasons. It could be the gen genetic makeup, but for a lot of us, it's a combination. For me, it's, it's, there, there's a void. Sometimes I'm bored. Sometimes it's uncomfortable emotions. You know, it could be fear. It could be anger. It could be whatnot. You know, coupled that coupled with my genetic makeup, I drank to fill a void. And then in early sobriety, and even in in sobriety with two and a half years that I have now, yeah, I'm I'm still having to fill these voids, but I'm not filling it with alcohol. Uh, I went on I went on two runs yesterday. I'm on two ice hockey teams. There's all kinds of little hobbies. I've got this piano in the corner of my room that I can still flounder upon and practice. My guitar is back out. There's all kinds of other ways that I fill these voids, you know, with meetings and things like that and working with Cafe RE. It feels really good. And what, what have you learned about yourself, Heath, in these last 40 days? 
Well, as of now, it's actually been good things. I always used the excuse for drinking that I was anxious and nervous. And I have found that you remove the, you know, the roller coaster with the Xanax and the alcohol, and I'm really not that anxious. <laughs> I'm like, maybe I'm actually not as crazy as I thought. You know, my interactions with people at work, my life are just a lot more sane. Was anxiety an issue for you? Is that why you were prescribed yeah. the, the Xanax in the first place? It was okay. First, uh, first place was uh, I was complaining I wasn't sleeping at night, but I've always been a little bit of a hyper person and talkative, whatnot. It went real quick from needing a legitimate reason to lying to the psychiatrist because <laughs> I knew right within six months I knew I did not need to be taking that, and I did not, I was not honest with him about that. How long did it take for your sleep to go back to normal, or has it gone back to normal? Even that, surprisingly good. And again, maybe it's the pink cloud, but I get up pretty early. Uh, it's like 4, 4.30. A lot of people think that's crazy. But so, you know, I get up early. So when bedtime comes, it, it's been pretty easy for me to go to sleep, provided I go running. I do go run during the day and I have to do that. That's been a big shift in, in my sobriety, in my routine. And the big one is what time I wake up. I've got this app called sleep cycle and my average wake up time is five seventeen in the morning. And that's what helped me in early sobriety was just when I get up early, it's a heck of a lot easier to go to bed at night. Have you experienced the same thing? Absolutely. Absolutely. It is. It, it, yeah. And the funny, the, even when I was drinking, somehow I got up earlier. So I don't know, um, but I got to maintain, yeah, I know, I'm like trying to figure all this out, what was going on? But no, it's a big part of being able to sleep at night or two things, exercising and getting up early. That, that's huge, just routine right there, you got to stick to a routine, and whether you walk around the block, jog 10 miles, it doesn't even matter what it is, but get in some sort of exercise, get those endorphins going, because this recovery pill First off, there is no pill, but the recovery in general, it takes a whole lot of different shapes and sizes, and it, it's different for everybody. But one key ingredient is is healthy eating habits and exercise and nutrition, and especially the exercise component, just to get those endorphins going. You know, what's what's on your bucket list, Heath? What do you want to accomplish in sobriety? Is it, I feel like you've got this grand opportunity in front of you, and, and what do you want to do with it? I tell you, right now, my, my goals are... Or I don't know if you want to say humble, fairly humble right now, because I'm just not sure what to think. It's all so new. But the main thing is I want to have the relationship with my wife the way it was when I married her. Um, I want to have that back. I want to have, that's my main goal right now. And then what else are you thinking of? I'd like to save money for once. I tell you, I, by no means close to being rich, but I make okay money and I should have a lot of money in savings. So I'm looking forward this year to, to put money in the bank you know that's every day i don't have a day that goes by i don't think man this is going to be a great year i can finally save money that would be the other one well heath i gotta tell you be careful what you wish for and I'm, and I'm not indicating that i have a lot of money i'm indicating that you know in order to get money you're going to have to you you operate your business and in sobriety I found that I was very averagely to poor managing my own businesses. <laughs> and when I got sober, I bit off way more than I could chew. So just a humble piece of advice on my end is, is take it slow, one day at a time. And I think your number one goal of, of, of fabricating that relationship with your wife and building that back up to what it was when you first were married, I think that's a fantastic goal. Yeah, you know, just be careful with the self-employment thing because you know I'm an entrepreneur. I've got 4.5 businesses. It's confusing, 
And at, you know, when I got sober, I had three businesses at the time. And it turns out that I was just doing somewhat of an average to piss poor job running them. But now that I was sober, I was like, <laughs> boom, bring it on. And, and then I found I was almost replacing work, you know, the alcohol with work. And I put myself into to some dangerous situations there as well. So just a little word, you know, a word from the wise, if I can call myself that, I'd appreciate that. That'd be great. Um, and, and, uh, and Heath, we have reached the rapid fire round. If you could answer these questions within 30 to 60 seconds, that would be great. Are you ready? Let's do it. Let's do it. He says, I love it. Number one, what was your worst memory from drinking? Uh, the disappointment in my wife. I'd come home from, uh, from driving and she knew right away the look on my face. She's like drinking and driving again. I think that had to be up there with top three worst. Yep. The disappointment in life and just, just, you know, alcohol does a great job of, of kicking our ass. And then we decide to, you know, to team up with team alcohol and beat our, beat ourselves up too much. I, I hated that. And number two, we've all heard of the aha moment. Did you ever have an oh shit moment indicating that you really couldn't control your drinking? I tell you, I did not have one moment. It was, it was a continual, probably 20 or more moments. Um, you know, it was usually after taking that Xanax. And mm-hmm. I thought, what am I going to do? Yep. Sounds about right. And Heath, what's your plan in sobriety moving forward? I want to keep going to the smart recovery. It's not a uh, AA type thing forever, but you can go for as long as you'd like. So for the here and now, the next year or two, I'd definitely like to continue that exercise and looking forward to uh, some nice vacations with the family this summer. Nice. Nice. Sounds like you got some great stuff in place. Connecting with the meetings, you know, spending quality family time sounds great. And what's your favorite resource in recovery? This can be a book. This can be an app. This could be the smart recovery meetings. If you had to pick one, what would be your favorite resource in recovery? And it can't be the podcast. Mm, if I had to, it can't be three. <laughs> if I had to be one, I guess uh, favorite source, the way you put it would be smart recovery. Nice. It's good to hear that. And what are some other ones, just out of curiosity, that you would that you Well, you uh, the exercises, it's a toss-up because I tell you, that really does relax me to where I can stay sober. So the relaxing and then the spending time with my wife, that would be the top three things. Nice. And my daughter. Yeah, your loved ones can definitely be a phenomenal resource in recovery. And Heath, in regards to sobriety, what's the best advice you've ever received? This drinking is never going to go away. This drinking, I heard someone say that to me, and I, I don't, it always stuck with me. It's never going to go away. You're going to have to deal with it sometime. There's a hard way of getting sober, and there's a harder way of getting sober. And the harder way is the way, and you, you're going to have to deal with it sometime. You might as well deal with it right now. And Heath, what parting piece of guidance can you give to listeners who are in early sobriety or thinking about quitting drinking? Don't give up. Kind of what you were alluding to in the beginning. Don't give up because it increases your odds. I mean, even with cigarette smoking, they'll tell you, I mean, I never smoke, but they'll tell you, if you fail, keep getting back on the horse because it increases your odds. And that's what I'm glad. I mean, for the last two years, I have continually tried and failed. So that would be my parting device. And I'll say this as a side note, I was going to say this. You might be an alcoholic if you use a sobriety app to help keep you sober. (laughs) (laughs) You beat me to it. I was going to ask that question, but you might be an alcoholic if you're using a sobriety tracker in general. I love it. Heath, it was fantastic chatting with you today. Thank you so much for joining us on the Recovery Elevator podcast. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Now let's hear from Cafe RE. 
Before I got sober, I felt alone. It felt like I was the only one in the whole world who found it extremely difficult to stop drinking once I had started. With Cafe RE, I now know I'm not alone. In fact, there are so many people all around this world just like me. In Cafe RE, for $12 a month, I get access to a private, unsearchable Facebook group where I can connect with other like-minded individuals, meet with them face-to-face -face in several weekly live webinars and meetings, I can get paired with an accountability partner who has a similar sobriety date as mine, I can attend in-person meetups and attend exclusive sober trips to places like Costa Rica. If there's one thing I've learned in sobriety, it's that I can't do this alone. Go to recoveryelevator.com and use the promo code ELEVATOR for your first month free. Again, use the promo code ELEVATOR when signing up for your first month free. I've had the pleasure of working with Annie Grace with this Naked Mind video coaching course. Now this video coaching course, it works without willpower. You will learn why setting limits never works and what to do instead. We just kind of covered why setting limits never works. It is a rational and intelligent approach firmly based in the most up-to-date psychology and neuroscience. It provides a proven methodical blueprint for change, which guides you step-by-step -step through getting started and making change stick. You can go to recoveryelevator.com forward slash Annie, that's A-N-N-I-E, to check this out. Use the promo code ELEVATOR50 for $50 off. Recovery Elevator, it has been an absolute pleasure being with you guys today. We took the elevator down. We got to take the stairs back up. We can do this. 